Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I am Seth Greenberg, joined by the great Jay Billis, whose hair is going back on defense. Fonz, a little traffic and travel issues right now. He's uh, trying to work his way back to South Bend. But due to weather in Chicago, he is having issues. So if he had hair, the hair on the back of his neck would be standing up right now and he'd be a tad bit aggravated. He might say, oh, gosh, this weather is terrible. But he's not here. But we are going to have Scott Drew here with us. Scott Drew, obviously, last year won a national championship with Baylor. He's been dealing with a number of injuries. But Jay Dawes, last night, a lot of stuff to unfold and a lot of stuff to look forward to for this weekend. But you were at the Auburn-Alabama game. Just your first takeaway, because I watched that game. First and foremost, is there any better atmosphere in college basketball, football-basketball combination than the jungle? Well, I've never been to an Auburn football game, but I've been to a few other SEC games uh, in football. But as far as as the basketball arena there, Auburn Arena, um, the atmosphere I'd put up with anybody. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't have the ambiance and the history of, of a place like Allen Fieldhouse or Cameron Indoor Stadium. It, it's not there yet. But, um, you know, the, the, the fans camp out. Uh, it's unbelievably loud in there and passionate. Um, so it's a it's a great venue. We'll, you know, we're going to be there at some point during the year. I, I'm, I'm positive of that just matter when. But one of the one of the things Seth, that I was blown away by and, and I continue to be impressed with is is what Bruce Pearl has done there. And yeah. you know, I spent the day there on Monday and uh, not only went to practice, but I sat in on film session scouting report for Auburn. And after I left there, my head was spinning. And I, I said to Bruce afterwards, I go, OK, compare what you just threw at these guys and what you're throwing at them in practice for prep for, for Alabama to what you would have done 15 years ago. And he said, it, it, it's more complicated by a multiple of 10. Um, you know, just all the different ball screen coverages, what they were going to do in certain situations, they're out of bounds. They changed a number of their plays uh, to take advantage of situations, how they were going to handle uh, the, the ghost screens that Alabama throws at you. And if they, if they stop to actually set the screen, you know, things like that, that yeah. you're going, man, this is, um, you know, I never as a player went through anything that detailed, uh, back in the day. And I realize it's, it's becoming longer and longer ago, but I sit in on a lot of scouting reports as do you. And, um, and that was as impressive, a, a, a prep for a game as I've ever seen, and and on top of that, you know, that program, you know, Bruce just got a lifetime contract uh, in part thanks to Louisville and Maryland, I guess. But, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been looked upon as a life sentence, not not a lifetime contract. Yeah. And he's turned that into a place where you're going, why wouldn't somebody come here? And uh, and I'm not sure I would have thought that before he got there. I, I knew he'd do well. And, and Alabama fans knew he'd do well, too. I, I remember being at the Birmingham Tip-Off Club when Bruce got hired and all the Alabama fans were like, uh Oh, but I don't, I don't think they even envisioned this like the 2019 final four. And then a number one ranking this year. Uh, it, it, it is, I think it's one of the remarkable coaching jobs I've, I've witnessed during my time uh, at ESPN, honestly. You know, the interesting thing is I think he does the best job in anyone of putting guys in position and moving them in actions. 
and different actions. It's not just, you know, obviously it's not just the flex cut, the pop back or flex cut, the duck in. I mean, there's a lot to it. That the, uh, the middle third ball screen where everyone's downing it and Walker Kessler keeps on going to the front of the rim and they're throwing him that lob because they empty out the backside. I mean, they have, they have so many good actions. The two things I think he does, he does that. And I'm not sure anyone evaluates better. And, and that's what I was trying to get to you guys, but I had someone counting in my ear screaming at me to get it back to the, to the game yesterday. But you, know, you think about green, you think about Johnson, you think about Jasper's, you think about Flanagan, even though his, his dad's an assistant coach, like, he finds guys that are going to play exactly the way he wants to play with the toughness, the passion, the energy, the physicality. Um, like, like, like to me, Katie Johnson, that guy is, you know, you guys joked around, you know, said, you know, Bruce said he's a psychopath. He's as fiercely competitive a dude as, uh, as, as I've seen in college basketball this year. I mean, like he's a heat seeking missile when he's driving it and transitioning defenders back. He, you know, he's not afraid of the moment. Like the Missouri game, end of the game, he basically said, Jabari, I understand you're great. I, Walker, that's fine. But right now I'm just taking this game over. Like he finds those guys, whether it's Harper, whether it's Brown, whether it's the, the players that he's had along the way, he has the ability to see a guy and go, that guy can play for me. That guy's a fit. And and his assistants do a great job of finding the right guys. And I, you know, a lot of times the guys acquire talent. And I would say, you know, assistant coaches got to find who can play for the head coach. You need really, really talented guys. And then you need to have a group of guys that can play for that head coach. And, and I look at this team and that's kind of what I see, you know, in their, in the, in what they're doing, but the energy of, of the program. And let's face it. I don't know. Were you there when he was sweeping the broom and doing whatever he was doing? Yeah, that, that actually is a, uh, that's the, uh, sort of the karate kid crane move. And it was done by Alabama football players. I, I was tied to see it uh, at the iron ball. It was done by, I think it was John Mechie, the, the great wide receiver that got injured. And that was a big reason Alabama didn't win the national championship or one of the reasons. And so they did it. Auburn did it after they won in Tuscaloosa. And actually Wendell Green Jr. told me the day before I sat down with him for probably half an hour before practice and I was just peppering him with questions and he's a really nice, nice young man. But, um, he was saying, well, you know, after, after all that stuff, you know, they're going to want some payback. So we better be prepared for it. I mean, they were ready for that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think even Bruce said after the game, you know, if, if Alabama wins, he expects them to do that, that this is part of the rivalry. It's not meant in any disrespect. It's just a celebratory thing. And I'm, I'm cool with it. I don't have a problem with all that stuff, but you know, to your point about how the pieces fit, uh, I, one, I agree. Um, but I think the pieces fit better because they have Jabari Smith and, and oh, yeah. Kessler. So all the stuff that Bruce is running, which none of, you know, I don't want to say none of it. A lot of it we, we see we've seen for years, you know, that flex action. He's changed a yep. few things with how they enter it, but they got the right guys running it. And, and that's a key. Um, and, you know, Alabama wasn't in the game. Uh, for very long for one reason. And it was because Walker Kessler was in the game. He fouled, he fouled out in the first game. And in this one, he stayed in it and blocked eight shots and changed. I ran out of fingers counting how many he changed. Uh, he stays in the game. You're not scoring in, ha in the half court. And Alabama shoots yeah. like 57% on twos. And they couldn't have shot more than 30% on twos when he was in the game. 
but you know, Dylan Cardwell comes in the game when he goes out, Oof. you know, he's a good player, but, yeah. but if they had Dylan card Cardwell starting and no Walker Kessler, I don't think we'd be talking about um, even though the point is right, but I don't think we'd be, we'd be harping on how the pieces fit. We go, they don't have a, they don't have stars in there, but those two stars, man, those are, those guys are freaks. And I, I look, I, I get it. We got a long time before the NBA draft, but if it was now, I'd take Jabari Smith and I would not hesitate. I would not hesitate. Yeah. Bancaro's great. Holmgren's great. But I take Smith, and I don't. I don't question it. No, I agree. With that. Alabama, uh, look, they're a work in progress too. I mean, I think different roles. Quinterly's got a new role. Shackelford's got a new role. Uh, Keon Ellis has got a new role. Bediaco obviously wasn't even there. Uh, so, like you know, I think the enthusiasm of of how Alabama plays, uh, their spacing, their warp speed, their spread ball screens. Uh, all those things are similar. They just they're doing it with a new group of players that are basically learning or in new roles. Like, and I think I think the role's a little bit, you know, you see Javon Quarterly. I mean, let's face it, he's not shot the ball well. There's more pressure on him. He's getting the other teams maybe a better defender. Uh, they don't have the same defenders or the same experienced defenders, but they're doing a lot of the same things, but they couldn't they couldn't maintain anything. I thought the first half when they couldn't make a shot. It was all over. They either turned it over, missed it, and then, you know, Alabama's, I mean, excuse me, Auburn was warp speed down the other end of the floor. When they made that little run at the beginning of the second half, like, what did you see a difference or is just kind of the ebb and flow of the game? I thought it was more ebb and flow. I mean, when it, at halftime, I was telling Carl Ravitch, uh, my, my broadcast partner for the game, that, that I, I felt like, uh, one, Auburn should be up more because of the way they handled uh, the end of the first half. I thought they should have been up 20. Um, but, but they were up 14. And I was telling him, I don't know that 14 feels like a lot, but I don't think it's all that much against Alabama. I mean, I felt like Alabama was going to knock some shots down and get something going. Uh, but, but the, you know, to me, Seth, I think the difference, um, in, like Al- Auburn has, uh, complimentary point guards, I would call it. So Zepp Jasper is one of the best on ball defenders. He's a low error, uh, point guard. He doesn't turn it over, but he doesn't score and he doesn't, he doesn't have warp speed. They put Wendell Green Jr. in the game and all of a sudden they've got a guy who's a total wild card that will shoot it from the logo and make it. Um, he attacks. Um, he attacks off the dribble and finishes plays really well at the rim. And then he's a very creative passer. Like he had six assists in the first half. And when he came in the game, when Alabama made that run, uh, the run was over. And so as, as great as Kessler was, and he was great and as good as Jabari Smith was and as talented as he is, uh, I thought the difference between it being a, a close game and, a, and an Auburn walk uh, where where the walk-ons could play at the end was was Wendell Green Jr. Like that guy. So to your point about about Bruce and evaluating, Bruce saw uh, Wendell Green Jr. play in high school when he was watching. I think it was Sharif Cooper. He was there to babysit Sharif Cooper, and and said, you know, this Wendell Green kid was the best player on the floor. He didn't even know who he was. So he inquired about him, and then told his coach, "Hey, tell you tell your." guy that he was the best player out there and I was really impressed but he wasn't recruiting him so he wound up going to Eastern Kentucky 
And then, and I think if I remember the story right, Bruce had, had talked to his son saying, who is this guy when he was in high school? And, uh, and, and Stephen Pearl thought, you know, he, he's, he's being recruited as a mid-major kid, you know, really small, but, uh, but, you know, quick and all that stuff. So the kid goes to Eastern Kentucky and plays, plays great. And then he's, he's on the open market in the portal. And, uh, and Stephen calls his dad and says, remember that guy you liked uh, a couple of years ago? And Bruce couldn't remember it. And he had to, he had to remind him, well, you told me about him. And, and so they went and got him and, uh, and look at what, look at what they got. Um, it's really yeah. kind of an interesting story about, you know, the portal works best in my view, the portal works best when you you've recruited the guy and he went somewhere else and you get the second chance at him. Or if you've already seen him and you have some knowledge of him. When you're getting them off of film and off of phone calls and recommendations, yeah. you, you can make a mistake there. Yeah, I saw a a, a w. Hamilton uh, in the airport actually when I was I was flying home and uh, and like he was talking, you know, they they lost two guys to the portal, two good players, two young players. You know, now they're kind of getting banged around and struggling a little bit. But uh, you know, you know, it's kind of been devastating. And I said, you know, you just got to work. He goes, but I'm working on Division Two guys right now. You know, I mean, that's. You know, <laughs> You know, and you know, you talk about the portal. We saw we saw two different angles of the portal last night with Texas Tech and and Texas because I think look, and I, I talked to both coaches coming up to that game, and you know, I actually thought the post game press conference, Coach Adams, I thought it was really good. You know, it's you know, basically him basically reiterating that you know, Coach got him out of back into coaching. You know, had they had a great run. He loves them. You know, he didn't know what to say. He was kind of you know, tongue tied what to say after the game, but. You know what, what was stark to me is, and it kind of goes to what you were just saying. The guys that Texas Tech got had an edge. They had a Texas Tech edge. Like they, their transfers were tougher, more of a chip, a little more athletic, a little more physical. Uh, and look, you know, they had McCuller, who was probably the best player on the court. They had Shannon, who's just didn't play a ton of minutes. They had Santos Silver, who played and gave them a foundation. But the Texas Tech guys, and it could change, you know, in the game of Texas, they were they were just tougher than the Texas guys that are all good players. All those transfers are good players. I mean, Marcus Carr is a good player. Bishop's a good player. Mitchell, Trey Mitchell's, they're all good. They didn't have the the the, the toughness. I thought I thought that game was one where there were more guys who could score for for Texas Tech, Williams is really, you know, really, really good. O'Banner made big shots, and they had an edge to them, where the Texas guys are good players, but they didn't have that same edge. Uh, you know, and that's kind of what you were talking about with knowing what you're. I, I think that I think that uh, Coach Adams knew exactly what he was getting. Where I think that you know Texas, they need to rebuild their whole roster. So well, Chris just, brought all those trying to get but, the best players. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But Chris brought all those guys in with the exception of O'Banner. He brought all those guys into Texas Tech so that they, he recruited that team. And and in Chris's well, career, Williams, Chris, now Williams came after Williams. In Chris Beard's career. Yeah, Bryson Williams. OK, so two. But the other guys you're talking about were all there. So so Chris Beard in his career has always had new teams every year. Yeah, I mean, he's coached at every level of basketball. He's yeah. never had a team that he's brought back year to year. That's never happened. So, so when he goes to Texas, now I'm not saying he got everybody he wanted or uh, or all that stuff, but 
it, this is not an unusual thing for him to have a new team every year. Oh, no, what, no. He's done it from his ABA days in the South Carolina Warriors. ABA, junior college, you, you name it. He's always brought in new guys every year. He's okay. always been into the transfer. He's always done that. So, so this is nothing new. It's not like it's not. It's like Calipari, you know, if he were to complain about one and done. So, I mean, he's been doing it forever. So, but my point is, like, it, I, I dismiss the Texas Tech game uh, for Texas. The other games, I don't. But Texas Tech, I do. Chris looked like he was being tortured to me, and he and he he had a look on his face that you know he didn't want to be there. And I'm not saying he didn't do his job or anything like that, but that was the, the, the how uncomfortable that was. Um, well, he couldn't I'm, bring his family. He wanted it, to bring his daughters and they told him not to bring his family. Yeah, but it filters to the players. And and yeah. so I'm not surprised they didn't have as good a showing as, as they wanted. That was a that was a fire pit. That was, uh, look, I, you know, do what you want. I mean, if you want to boo a guy that built that, that program for you, go ahead and boo him. Um, that, that's a fan's prerogative. Um, but, but it, it seemed a little nasty and Chris looked really uncomfortable. Oh, it was. Well, I tell you one thing, we missed a great opportunity though, because we interviewed with him the day before that we ran on, on, on our half times, and, you know, he, he didn't look great, but, but because I told him that, you know, one of the great things that's ever happened in my life is I was on the fireside chat that, you know, we would like it at some point, if he would, you know, maybe understand the value of old men on campus. And he answered that question with, uh, if we win tonight, I'll shave my head and I'll have my whole staff shave their heads. So I, there might be something there. He said, you know what? Maybe he didn't want to lose the lettuce. Uh, so he, you know, didn't, maybe wasn't <laughs> fully invested in the game. I think Coach Drew, the great Coach Scott Drew right here, is going to be joining us right now, immediately, if not sooner. I mean, if 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 it was a choice, Coach Drew, to shave the dome, hair completely back on defense, but guaranteed you a big win, or having that nice little, you know, you got to move around a little bit, but you still have it surviving. It's eventually going to go. We've seen your dad. Your brother got the better jeans with the hair. That's just the way it is. You got a better team. He got the jeans with the hair. I mean, oh just go and look and, and just look like, you know, a larger wash rag. Boom, you're good to go. For a big game, would you shave it off? So we actually, the first year we made the NCAA tournament, we needed a couple wins to get it done. So we started with the staff. After every win, a coach would shave their head. And I was going last because uh, uh, I was smart, you know. And then the second, <laughs> and then the second thing is we, we were blessed to be able to be in the tournament and not get to me. So it, was, it worked out beautiful. So uh, uh, would I do that? Um, earlier on in my career, I would have because I know it would have come back. Right now, I would be bald for life. So I'm probably going to keep it as long as I can because in Texas, there's a lot of sunshine. And people don't understand that sunburns on the head hurt. You know, I mean, you got to put sunscreen up there. And by the way, you know who you're talking to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's the few and the proud, you know, so I want to join your club. It's just not right now. All right. I got a, I got a couple of years, hopefully left. Well, Scott, before we get into your team, uh, uh, something in that realm. So I, I was talking with Nate Oates, the head coach at Alabama, and he was telling me that his coaching staff, they have an annual competition after the holidays of and they you know they put they put money on it so each guy puts in some money the head coach puts in more 
but but he says they they compete on the 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 amount of weight they can lose uh before the end of the season uh and there are three components to it it's like it's like weight body fat and then percentage uh, of weight all that stuff and so you get you get payouts for each one and and Nate is a pair they used to do it with teams but now they do it individual like they would pair up with another guy uh, and I thought it was really funny. Like, you know, he gets on his his staff about, you know, you cost me last year. You can't, you can't stop eating or stuff like that. <laughs> so, so do you guys at your, at your program, you have any uh, uh, little things that you do with your staff, little competitions, little fun things you do? Uh, wow. That's a great question. We don't do any betting with weight loss. As you know, normally during the season, uh, some people eat out of st- stress induced, you know, and I, I think, I think we're one of those staffs that probably eat a little bit more down the stretch. <laughs> so we're probably not going to take that away. As far as competing, um, there's really nothing that, uh, uh we'll do pushups for, for losing and, and pair up two coaches and on one team and two coaches on another. Uh, we do quite a bit of that. Um, but as far as losing weight or a staff competition, probably, probably not. Uh, we're probably, well, what's your, what's your go-to, what's your go-to thing when you're stress eating? When I'm stressing, <laughs> well, see, I, I'm like Mikey. I like it all. So I eat everything, you know, if it's within, if it's within reach, I'm all over it. So, um, but I, I, I can tell you that uh, I did do keto this year because I needed to drop some weight because I was worried we were going back to suits and none of mine fit. So it's either get all new suits if we went back to, to that, or I had to lose a little bit. So I did do that for the first time it worked. Thank goodness we didn't go back to suits, but if I need to fit in one, I can't. God, keto sounds got, like torture. Like, what what did you eat? Were you eating like cauliflower yeah. rice? And- <laughs> well, keto actually, uh, um, it's one of those all protein uh, diets. Oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So you're eating you're eating chicken, steak, fish. So all 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 that stuff. What you're doing is you're cutting out all the good stuff, all the sugar, <laughs> all the bread, all, all, all the breads, the pastas. Yeah, so you eat a pound of bacon, but you can't have a, a little bowl of pasta. That that's yeah, you can die of a heart attack, but you just can't have any pasta. Exactly. You're right. <laughs> well, how how how's your team now? I mean, I saw you guys against uh, against West Virginia, and you've been going through yeah. uh, so many injuries, and yeah. you've had you know it's been a, a roster stop start for you. What what's that been like, and how have your guys handled it? Well, you know, uh, we started the year and in the non uh, in September, October, we had a couple injuries. And then I was worried at the start of the season, we wouldn't know our rotations and who played well with who. But we got out to a 15 and 0 start. Then Jeremy sprained his ankle against TCU. And then after that, James Akinjo got injured, uh, his tailbone and, and the irony is James is his fourth year of college. He's never been injured before. So, I, I mean, he, he must be eating right, saying a lot of prayers, but I mean, no ankle sprains, nothing, you know? So uh, uh, anyway, he, he gets injured and then we finally get uh, him back and then we lose LJ and we lose Adam, Adam Flagler and Adam's knee got injured against Alabama and uh, uh, hopefully we get him back soon. Uh, LJ's got a foot injury and, and again, both of them, uh, uh, can come back once they're once they can tolerate uh, whatever pain. So structurally, they're 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 cleared from the doctor to come back when the pain's gone. So like each day, I wake up. Do we got a full team? Do we got because because we're undefeated. We're fifteen and zero when we have a full roster. But as you know, uh, uh, us coaches are only as good as our players, and we got some great players. 
when you do have injuries, which you're going to have, you have to have people step up. And we've, we've had that at the same time in the big 12, uh, in the sec challenge, when you're playing great teams, you, you, if you're not on your a game, you're not winning. And, um, uh, unfortunately we've had a couple of those nights. Jeremy Sohan. All right. Did you expect him to be this good? Cause I'll tell you one thing. He is so skilled. His game is so mature. Uh, he has a credible feel. I mean, like, like, what did you expect from him when you signed him? Because I'll tell you, I can watch that guy all day. <laughs> well, we we love whether watching he's a blonde him or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know I know you guys like watching him because first of all, he's got toughness, but he's also fundamentally sound. And it's so great when you get a guy who the ball doesn't stick. He always makes the right passes. And I mean, the game, you're going to have some turnovers. You're going to have some mistakes. He just has a limited amount of them. We really trust him to make right decisions. And defensively, that's where uh, we knew offensively he would he would be very gifted and talented because he had a great feel and was fundamentally sound. But we didn't know defensively he'd be able to guard one through five like he's been able to do. And to be honest, when he first got here, some of our guards thought he was he was the one they would pick on. And and to his credit, he's worked hard and improved in a in a in a short period of time to where he's he's tough to score on one through five. And and he's got he's got toughness. Um, and and then we need that in the rebounding. Anytime you're six, eight, six, nine, you gotta you gotta be able to rebound, and he does that as well. So Scott, with, all- with LJ Cryer and uh, and Adam Flagler, last year they were uh, role players and yeah. playing behind guys that were you know NBA draft picks and and yeah. uh, player of the year candidates and all the all the awards these guys were winning. When you have somebody that's in that role, but you expect them the next year to to break out of that role and be more. Um, how, how do you how do you coach that? How, how do you how do you deal with the player? that is capable of more, but you're not asking them to do that just yet. Well, and, and that's a great question because um, normally when people transfer and they had to sit out a year, that's that year where that maturation, um, they become, they know their teammates, uh, they earn their teammates respect and trust, but they're able to really focus on their game for a whole year and improve so that when, when they do play, they skip that year of not playing as much. Um, with, with LJ, perfect example, he was uh, probably our fifth guard last year. And I give all the credit to our Davion, Maceo, and Jared, and then Adam to some part. But those veterans really took LJ under their wing and, and told them, because two of them had sat out before, and, and Jared had gone through where he didn't play as much as he thought early on in his freshman year. So they, they, they we know it's hard, but you got to keep staying with it. They would take them, get them in the gym, work extra with them. So I really credit them. And with the beginning of the year, um, when I, when they were asking, how's the team doing like their first, how's LJ doing, you know, cause they had vested interest in really helping him as well. So I think you really have to have that, those upperclassmen and you, you guys know, they care a lot more what a 22 year old senior thinks of them than what a coach thinks of them. So if you get upperclassmen that buy in and can help guys through those, through that process, it makes it so much easier. 
year. Um, but like a- Adam sat out a year as well. And during those sit out years, I mean, you, 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 you become more, it's easier because you learn everyone's offense and defense, but you're a better player. And when you play, you're just more vested in everything because you've been there for a year. Um, I tell you what's tough and it's challenging in all college basketball. And I think every coach is going through this to some degree. And we've been really blessed like James and Dale are great transfers, but you have guys that return to college and they think their roles are going to be bigger, but then you add these fifth year and sixth year guys and fourth year guys. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was doing that role. I, you know, and, and just balancing all that out. And it's really important. You bring in the right transfers that um, are about the team and fit your culture. And we've been blessed to have that. How's the documentary been? I mean, like here you got cameras following you around all over the place. I mean, you know, I mean, like, what has that been like for your players? What has that been like? Like when things are going great, yeah, it's great. Yeah. But you're also going to be in some uncomfortable situations because let's face it, one, the expectation of Baylor is very high. Yeah, these kids think it, the transition's easier. You know, mm-hmm. you'd be, you know, look, you're trying to repeat as a national champion, not for the same team, but that mm-hmm. doesn't happen until April. Right. What is, what has that been like? Kind of everyone watching your every step and every word. Well, I I, I can tell you. First and foremost, uh, TL and her crew are the ones that follow us around. And we're really blessed because it's like like their attitudes and and she's phenomenal. She's always smiling, um, but it makes it real easy to work with someone that's easy to work with. So that's been a blessing. Uh, at the same time, you're 100 percent right. After a win and things are going well, you love having the cameras there. After a loss, you're like, can we get a little alone time? You know, but at, at the same time, uh, I'm a glasses half full guy. It makes them pay attention because they know the camera's watching them. And I'll find out through the camera they weren't paying attention. So at least it helps them. <laughs> focus you know <laughs> well it's really good it's called our time on espn plus and i've watched it i've watched every episode okay. and and it, it really gives great insight into your program the women's program and then the players you get to see uh yeah. you, know, you kind of get invested in in your team yeah. and for people who outside of your family your your baylor family they get a chance to see it all of a sudden that now they're invested in Baylor. I, I, I hope other places do it. Maybe you don't and you can keep doing it, but it, but it's, it's fantastic. I've loved it. The great thing about you, Scott, is like, you're not going to drop a, you know, an F-bomb or something like, you know, I mean, like, you know, some guys, they could have that happen and then, you know, the whole thing would just be beeped out. I mean, do you have anyone on your staff that like you look and go, Oh, I don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> no, actually, actually, part of the reason we did it was I, I felt comfortable with our team and staff. And yeah. and I mean, uh, 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 I, I trust them. Uh, we're not saying all of us are perfect at all, um, but I, I wanted to put uh, uh, our players, especially in, in positions to be role models. And this is I mean, we have a couple episodes coming up. And I don't want to give it away, but I think it's great because you're going to see boy, he's a basketball player, wants to go to the NBA, and he wants to be a lawyer or a doctor, like like following them in class, what their passions and hobbies are. And I mean, if you're any, if you're a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old, now all of a sudden, well, maybe it is cool to want to be good academically and be an NBA player or just to see them be positive role models. And and I, I, our guys, they take that really serious, the platform they're given. And it's a great opportunity and blessing for them. And that's a big reason I did it. If we, if we had players that I didn't, 
trust or didn't want to put out there, we wouldn't do it. But um, as you guys know, when you got guys that uh, uh, you trust and you you think are going to help make this world a better place, you want them out there. You know, Scott, going back just for a second to, to LJ and Adam, with with them being taken under the wings of, of your older players that got them into the gym, so mm-hmm. it's players working out with players instead of the coaches having to do it. Uh, are, are you seeing those guys kind of pay it forward with your younger guys and they're doing for for other younger guys what Davion and Maceo and Mark and all those guys did for them? Yes. Um, I, I will say at the, at the same time, some guys are just gifted at that, too. You know, like Freddie, Freddie Gillespie took uh, uh, everyday John under his wing. And he was like, Freddie really enjoyed doing that. Um, some people you have to remind them because they might be gym rats, but they like to come work out by themselves. And you're like, hey, you got to take someone with you. Normally, most of that is done, as you know, in the in the summertime mm-hmm. um, during the season with class and, and everything. They don't have as much time. Um, and last year, too, <laughs> we had because of COVID pauses. They even had more opportunity because when you weren't playing games and maybe uh, 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 half the team was able to be in the gym, then they could spend some more of that quality time. But as coaches, we try to definitely educate our guys with that and the importance of it. And and we've been blessed for the most part. It's worked out. Uh, but again, uh, if you have guys that are just in your program for one year, it, it's, it's hard for them to it, those guys have been there three and four years. I mean, they just know what to do and how to do it. You don't have to talk about it or say it. Can you spell Chamochachua? Jonathan Chamochachua, I can say it, but I can't spell it. (laughs) (laughs) He spells it J. T-T. <laughs> that, that or everyday John I could spell out also, all right? <laughs> hey, hey, about six weeks away from selection Sunday or so. Like the next six weeks, what do you, what, besides getting healthy, like yeah. you'd say, you know what? I really like our team. They're a great group. They work hard. Our guard play. But what, where do you want to see your team improve going into this last month and a half of the season or you know, six weeks of the season? Well, I think the first part with that is getting healthy so you know what you have to improve. And what I mean by that, a lot of times a player comes back, but he hadn't practiced with the team. So he's a little rusty. The team's not doesn't have the chemistry with them. I mean, you got to have everybody back where you play a couple games and you have some practices. So, all right, our rotations are off or this is off or offensively we need to do this. So as you know, the whole the whole season, I mean, you from one game to the next, um, you play a game and now someone comes up with a, a, a defense that, oh, I didn't know we had a problem with this. Right. I mean, like the first time everybody's switching, first time someone plays a zone that affects you, first time someone presses and affects you. So literally your whole season is is ebbs and flows and you're plugging holes that you find that you didn't know you had or maybe you didn't spend enough time to get ready for. With us, though, I, I would think uh, um, defensively our rim protection, we got to do a better job with that. Not saying necessarily our bigs, but making sure we do a better job uh, having a guard or a big, not give up so many layups. We've given up uh, way too many layups uh, thus far in conference and probably throughout the season. And that would probably be the biggest difference in our defense from this year to last year. Well, we'll let you get out of here on this one. What's the last thing you did to get away from basketball and, and unplug uh, for some personal time? 
I, I love to go fishing. My dad, my brother and I, we, that used to be our thing. We'd go uh, uh, three days in the summertime together and talk basketball and go fishing and it didn't get any better than that. So uh, that that's what I like to do is, is, is go fishing. And uh, um, the catching part is fun, but th- that's, that's one place I don't bring my cell phone. And, you know, uh, the other place was movie theaters, but when, when COVID and all the movie theaters shut down, I was down to just fishing. So anyway, uh, that's where I like to get away from everything. What do you fish? Right? You fish with Mark Few, right? Or yeah, who's the better uh, fisherman uh, between you and he's Few? a really good fly fisherman. And and fly fishing is not my expertise. I, I do a lot of bass fishing and uh uh I, I love the, like they have bass fishing tournaments all the time, you know, ESPN and Bassmasters Classics and all that stuff. So um actually there was a Bassmaster Classic winner, uh season ticket holder Alton Jones from Waco, Texas. So I think it was like 2010, 2012, something like that. Now, I, I got a last question. This is more important. Like, <laughs> do you feel disrespected? Because, like, like you want to, you didn't win the national championship last year, right? Uh huh. Last hopefully, time I checked, hopefully, you, hopefully right? it's in the books. Your dad lives in Phoenix. <laughs> hey, your dad, your dad lives in Phoenix, uh-huh. and you know, holding your brother's hand. And like he could live in Waco. I mean, yeah. like, what what is up with this? I mean, did you do I need to call your dad to coach? Like the man wanted, I mean, like, can we give him a little support? He won a, I mean, he won a championship. What's going on here? Hey, so, Seth, who, Seth, who is saying that Scott didn't have first pick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so my brother and my brother-in-law are are coaching together. So they, they have a total of five grandkids. We have a total of three. And uh, um, the other thing is, you know, in Phoenix, my dad, when he went down there, he found out golf golfing wise, he became a lot younger with that Phoenix crowd. So he's doing all right on the golf course right now. <laughs> <in Florida. laughs> well, Scott, you're the best, man. Hey, man. Thanks we, for coming on. Appreciate uh, you doing this, man. It's, well, it's thank you guys awesome very much. It. Appreciate all you do for college basketball. Thank you. All right, Jay, uh, this is a big week, obviously, Duke Carolina. Uh, what's your first memory of that rivalry? And then what's your favorite memory of that rivalry? My first one was uh, my freshman year in 1983 when we played uh, North Carolina at Cameron. And Michael Jordan, uh, there was a steal at midcourt. And Tommy Amaker was taking the ball in. He and Johnny Dawkins taking the ball in for a you know a layup that was going to be contested. Michael Jordan flew in from behind him and uh, and hit his head on the backboard as he was trying to block it. And you know he, he hurt himself, so they they had to give him some attention. Uh, you know the trainer had to come out, and we had to go back to our benches. And I remember you know a lot of us Duke players looking at one another, going, "Did you see that?" He just hit his head on the backboard. <laughs> and, you know, back then the backboard was a little bit, a bit lower, but he could have hit it, hit it wherever it was. But I'd never seen that before. And, uh, and we were kind of looking at each other go, we don't have to go back out there, do we? And uh, it, that was a, a, an interesting happening. And, uh, and you got the idea pretty quickly that these guys are on another level than us. And we'd better, we'd better learn how to, how to play at that level. And then I think, I think, you know, the games after that were, um, were all, uh, you know, 
back and forth. You know, we could have won, they could have won and, and all that. I think we split with them from then on out after Jordan left when I was in school. And it, it kind of honestly, that was it was a rivalry before. But that's when it started to be a fair what we consider to be a fair fight. And uh, and my maybe my favorite memory, because it was so bizarre, was when I was a grad assistant uh, in 1992. You know, Duke had Christian Leitner, Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, uh, Thomas Hill, uh, you name it. It was a ridiculously good team and wound up winning a, the, the second, you know, the second of back to back national championships that year. Um, but Duke went into the Dean Dome. I don't recall undefeated or not, but number one, Duke was number one that whole year, even losing a game here or there. I think they lost two games the whole year. Um, but that was the bloody Montrose game and all that stuff. I mean, it was a, it was a war and, and Carolina won. And as, as we were leaving the floor, um, the Carolina fans stormed the court. And I was walking out with Tommy Amaker and we looked behind us and kind of looked at each other and going, well, what is going on here? Like that, that I've never seen this before. And it was kind of showed the, how the rivalry had ratcheted up to that point where, where uh, a win over, over Duke for Carolina was that big of a deal. And cause it hadn't been before, not that it wasn't a big deal, but it hadn't been that kind of deal. And uh, um, you know, that that's, I think that's when the rivalry hit the fever pitch that remains today where it is a uh, you know, like we can, and we will, but we, like Carolina doesn't have a quad one win yet. So this is a really valuable game for them, but none of that matters because it's Duke Carolina. If that makes sense, like all that stuff, you know, when they say the records are out the window, I've never really understood that because they're not out the window, but um, you don't, you don't really have to motivate anybody. You don't have to tell them what it, you know, what it means. Um, but by the same token, Seth, I don't think you can, it's kind of like what I would imagine being a head coach is you can tell everybody what it's like to be a head coach. We don't know until you've done it. And you can tell a player is not playing the rivalry, whether it's Brady Manick or, or a freshman, um, you can tell them what it's like, but they don't get it until they've been through it. Um, they may play great. I'm not saying they can't overcome it, but they don't get it until they've been through it afterwards. They'll go, okay, I see what everybody's talking about. Now the air is heavier um, the atmosphere is different. There's just a, there's a, a, an aura about the game that, that I've never seen duplicated in anything I've been a part of. Um, and it doesn't mean like every rivalry and you tell me if you think this is wrong, but I, I, I believe this every rivalry is as important to the, the participants as Duke Carolina is. So, um, oh, you know, Xavier Cincinnati is every bit as important to the participants as Duke Carolina. But Duke Carolina has more eyeballs on it and more there's more around it that makes it bigger. And and the players can feel how big it is. And, and, and there's a weight that goes with it that has to be managed, in my view. Yeah, because the two teams that are playing most times are playing at the end of the season for Final Fours and championships. And that's why there's someone who said well, one time that this game always – Oh, it always delivers. And it does. I mean, you can count on one hand in the last 20 years where the game where you got, eh, you know, that game wasn't great because one team was so much better than the other played so much better. But usually like that stat we're going to use and have used over the last uh, I don't know how many years. 50, 50. So the last 100 games, it's 50 50 and, and they're separated in 100 games. They're separated by a grand total now of 12 points. 
I mean, that's who you, you couldn't make that up. If you made it up, somebody would go, if that was in a movie and you made it up, somebody would go, Oh, that's total crap. There's no way that could ever happen. And, uh, and that's the way it is in this thing. It, it is, uh, I mean, it, it's, and, and, you know, maybe part of this, somebody could argue, Oh, well, the game's on your air. You're just trying to sell it and hype it. I don't think you have to, we don't have to say anything. All we have to do is, is say Duke Carolina Saturday at six and we're done. You know, you don't have to say, this is what it's for. This is, you know, you know how our bosses always say, tell us what's at stake. We don't just do that. It's Duke Carolina. So right. end of story. See it say, you know, see you Saturday at six. The, re- the rest of it, and it um, is fun, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much yeah. as the, those two schools. No, Jay, you know, I, I agree with everything you said. We're just so excited to be there and to, you know, experience it one more time. But I think right now we're coming to an interesting time because when you think about Duke and Carolina uh, and you think about, you know, back in the day, it was Coach Smith. And Coach Smith was the evil empire, even a Coach K at the beginning. You know, everyone looked at Coach Smith in North Carolina and, you know, it was, you know, hey, that's North Carolina, whether it's they get all the calls or it's just different. And, you know, everyone, that North Carolina game was the biggest game on their schedule. And Coach Smith was the guy that, you know, even when I was at Virginia, uh, Coach Smith was the guy that everyone you know, Juan could have beaten, was, you know, and we, it was just different. And, you know, there was always, whether it was Rick Barnes having a confrontation because you knew you could compete with them uh, and draw a lot in the sand that, that you in your program could compete against the standard. And then all of a sudden, Coach K came. And he became Coach Smith in a lot of ways. And Duke became the standard along with Coach Williams, who came in, obviously, in the middle of that. But both of those teams defined the ACC. Both of those teams defined college basketball. Uh, Both of those coaches, or those coaches, especially Coach K, uh, he was different. He, you know, know, what he did, how he did it, the success they had, and everyone else was competing to try to get a little piece. There's only two more times and this, this year is coming to an end. I mean, I think you told me the other day, Jay, that how many more home games do they have? Uh, I think it's three now. Three more home games. And then what do you think Duke and Carolina will always be Duke and Carolina, but what do you think? No Roy Williams, no coach K who's going to take that mantle. Who's going to be the standard bearer for the league? Or should we say, you know what? It's going to emerge or it's going to be Duke, North Carolina, or, you know, let's not even worry about it because let's enjoy this next six-week period. Well, I, I mean, to, to your point on the latter, we can do both. I mean, we can we can talk about what's next and and conjecture about it and think about it and still enjoy what, what we're seeing now and, and sort of savor the Duke-Carolina rivalry with Coach K and Hubert Davis now. Um, look, I, in, in every sport, whether it's uh, it's football, basketball, baseball, you name it, we've had irreplaceable icons that have left the game. We just had it with Tom Brady. Tom Brady just yep. left the NFL and retired. Uh, Peyton Manning left the NFL and retired. And, and that's a void, but it's going to be filled. It may not be filled by somebody as good as Tom Brady in the long run, but there'll be somebody that'll take our attention. 
And, and I think that's true of the college game, uh, both in football and basketball. You know, I'm sure people thought things would never be the same after John Wooden left UCLA. Uh, and, and we've had others step into in there who thought we would have a, a coach K when he started. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who could have predicted that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really worried about that. And I'm certainly not worried about, about the care, um, uh, the caretakers at Duke and Carolina. I mean, John Shire has already done a great job recruiting. He's got like five McDonald's all Americans coming in and, uh, and Huber Davis. I mean, I think we both feel very strongly that, that he's not only the right guy um, he's as good a guy as we know. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried about it. But but to your point, like I, I'm damn sure going to savor uh, every opportunity I have to enjoy this game and uh, each game and then enjoy the rivalry. And then as soon as it's over, move on to the ACC tournament and the Big Ten tournament and all these things in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, as big as Coach K is, and, and I think he would echo this, uh, his, he'll leave a void uh, when he leaves. But but the game is going to continue continue on and be healthy and do incredibly well. It's just we you know I don't know I don't really know what time in in my adult life. I mean I met Coach K when I was seventeen. I don't really know a time in my adult life when he hasn't been the Duke coach and and that's uh, yeah. unusual. That's unusual and uh, and and we're all you know especially me. I mean I'm pretty lucky to have had this kind of life with him in it. Yeah, I think it's just going to be fascinating, you know, moving forward, uh, you know, there's always been that standard bearer in the ACC. There's always been that, you know, in Duke and Carolina, the programs will stand by themselves. But there was always that one person that everyone in that league, uh, you know, maybe it's like Bill Self in the 12th, everyone in that league, that those games were just different. A lot of it had to do with, whether it was Coach Smith, Coach Williams, or Coach K. And it'll be just, I just think, as good as John Stryer, you know, looks like he's going to be as good as job as Hubert's going to be. I just think it's it's going to take a, it's going to take time to get used to. Is it going to be Tony Bennett that's going to emerge as that guy? Is it going to be someone we don't even know who hasn't even been hired yet? But... Well, it's only going to take John Shire 43 years to equal Coach K. But, if you, but, but Seth, if you yeah, fill exactly. that void, the only way to do it is you have to get back into coaching. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I'm sure. And people are clamoring. I mean, this hotel, they, I, I'm actually on an alias because I don't want people calling. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, have a great call to the game tonight. <laughs>